Welcome back to the Dad Chronicle. I'm your host, Alex Albisu. This is episode 70. Now, before we get started, I want to remind you that you can go to thedadchronicle.com and listen to other stories of fatherhood. Make sure that you're subscribed and make sure to check out our patron rewards. You can click that become a patron button at the top to learn more. Now, today's guest is somebody that I've always wanted to interview. He's somebody that I look up to a lot as a podcaster. He's really the reason that I started podcasting. Today, I talked to Scott Johnson. You likely know Scott from his work all over the internet and his work as a cartoonist and an illustrator. Scott is known for a number of podcasts. He has about like eight or nine different podcasts out there, all on the Frog Pants Network. He owns the Frog Pants Network, uh, shows like The Morning Stream, The Instance, uh, Film Sack, all award-winning podcasts. And uh, I talked to him about what it's like to be a dad. The first thing we talk about and something that I was surprised about was just how nervous Scott was to be a dad in the first place. I was terrified of what kind of father I would be. Would I be good at this? We talk about his jump from the corporate life into the life of an entrepreneur. It was just always work for somebody else. You know, like I I was doing good work, but none of it felt like it was for me. We talk about the crucial role his father played in allowing Scott to be creative and pursue his dreams. A lot of people criticize him for it. It's like, that kid's never going to do anything if you don't come down a little harder on him or whatever. And I'm really grateful to this day that he was kind about it and that he was willing to be patient and all of that because I think he'd be pretty proud of it. And finally, we talk about a huge milestone in Scott's life. He's now a grandfather. I was I was even I was having all this trepidation about this idea of this notion of being a grandfather in quotes, because it just seems like such a huge step into the old man future. (laughs) Here's my conversation with cartoonist, illustrator, podcaster, father and grandfather, Scott Johnson. Scott Johnson, thanks for being on The Dad Chronicle. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you for having me on The Dad Chronicle, fellow dad. Oh, yes, fellow dad. This is all about dadding this evening, Mm -hmm. and uh, we're going to dad the hell out of this show. It's going to be great. I'm ready. Um, I'm ready to father it all. Let's go. <laughs> oh, oh boy, it's not that type yeah. of show, but uh, no, this is this is great. I've been looking forward to chatting with you for a while. Um, people who uh, have listened to the show have heard a lot of different folks that have shown up on shows uh, on your network, and uh, they've likely heard your voice around the podcasting arena. But uh, for those who don't know you, would you like to do a quick little introduction for yourself? Sure. I'm a late 40s uh, guy who's uh, used to be a whole lot skinnier and I'm fat right now. And no, I'm I'm not going to go down that road. Uh, (laughs) I am a uh, a, a professional, I guess professional. (laughs) Yeah, professional. But uh, illustrator, cartoonist, and podcaster, and I've uh, been doing that stuff on my own since 2009, full-time. Before that, uh, almost full-time. I was doing pretty much a day job and then coming home and doing all of that at night. I have three kids, and uh, they are two girls, one boy. My oldest is 25 now. My second to youngest is 22. Those are the girls, and then my son is 19, just turned 19 uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, married to Kim. We've been married for now 26 years, and what else about me? She's one of the the best human beings on this planet. Oh, no, she's the bomb, dude. She's Right now, she's not here, so I'm feeling it even extra uh, hard this week because she's She's in uh, Lake Powell with some friends oh, who needed an extra body to come because somebody couldn't go. And so she's like, yeah, I'll go or whatever. They needed help. So she went there. They're on a houseboat just having a blast, sleeping on the lake. And uh, I'm home with the kids wondering cool. why DoorDash costs so much, you know, <laughs> that oh, sort of thing. Kim is uh, legendary for her cooking. Um, oh, yeah. what, what, are you, what are you eating these days now that she's not at home? Well, I just had a... I mean, it was a good burger, but I just had a burger All right. uh, and I ate that before our show here tonight. And it was from a place called Cubby's here in town, which everyone likes a lot. It was called the Houdini and it was fantastic, but it wasn't the healthiest choice. <laughs> um, I, I try to do better while she's gone. I made a ham and I made a ham sandwich yesterday with like, <laughs> you know, like lettuce and tomato and all the stuff you want to put on there. But, uh, you know, there's been a frozen burrito once, I think a couple <sighs> of hot pocket pizza pocket things. Um, I'm not great at this. So when she leaves, everybody eats bad and we miss her cooking terribly. Um, and it's not something we make her do, or it's some kind of weird expectation. She's really good at it and loves doing it, especially if it's for groups. She loves hosting parties. She loves, you know, throwing barbecues and being in charge of all the food. She wants, uh, she wants fed 300, uh, 
homeless people at a homeless shelter uh, with our help, you know, moving stuff around and taking things. But the cooking was entirely her. And she made this like three course meal for 300 homeless people. It's wild. And the place said they'd never have better food. And so she's just like some kind of crazy alien that I just get the uh, honor of living with, I guess. How did you guys meet, by the way? I don't know if I've ever heard this story. So when we were down, uh, she lived in Mississippi, grew up there her whole life. She was just outside of New Orleans, maybe 30 minutes in a little town called Bay St. Louis. Uh, even I think it's, well, at the time, I think uh, there's even like a sub town called Waveland. And this thing is so small. It sounds like a, like an old joke, but literally they have one stoplight and it doesn't work. That's how old this town and how Wow. Little teeny town down there. Um, she grew up with 10 siblings, three of which were adopted. Uh, Whoa. Through the state. Yep. So there was that. There was that. Uh, she had one brother who died when he was very young, but outside of that, so it was a total of, I can't do the math. Uh, so it'd be nine, nine that she grew up with, three were adopted. So six, six kids are all their actual kids, her parents. Wow. Yeah, it was a big family. Um, big Southern family, very close. Uh, very close knit. There was lots and lots of relatives around um, all in, all up and down the coast down there. And uh, I met her down there in the early 90s uh, when I was down there for a church mission. And while I was down there, I ran into her at a meeting and was smitten by her. <laughs> I just thought she was awesome. And she had cookies with her then. Even then she was cooking things <laughs> and she handed me this box of cookies, this stranger, this person who had walked up to talk to her handed me this box of cookies. And when I got home, I immediately called her. Uh, this is like three months later or something. And mm -hmm. she, the, the talk was that her and her sister were coming up to, uh, up through this, the, from Mississippi all the way up through, uh, Idaho to go to school at, uh, at the time it was Rick's college and she was going to go to college there. And so she says, Hey, I'll, I'll be on my way up there. We'll I'll come hang out with you guys for like a week. I said, Oh, that'd be great. We'll get to know each other and, you know, see if there's anything to this. So she did. And that's it. We got engaged. Uh, there was a long engagement. Roughly, well, sort of. It was nine months. It's not that long, I guess. Oh, yeah. That's pretty. That's actually pretty average. Yeah, that's probably about what people do. It felt like an eternity. Yeah. Um, she would come down sometimes on the weekends from school. Sometimes I'd go up there and we'd hang out. She got to know my parents really well and my siblings and all that. Just fit right in. And, um, you know, why she liked me, I couldn't tell you. Oh, but there's plenty a, to love, had, man. I had a million reasons to like her. Let's put it that way. And uh, she, so let's see, 92, we got married that fall. And two years later, we decided to go baby hunting. We wanted a baby. So you go hunting for babies. Yeah, that's how we do it here in Utah. We go hunting for them. We all, <laughs> we take a group of 15 men out in the streets and we just don't stop until we've hunted a baby. Uh, no, we uh, we decided to start trying to have a kid and it uh, turns out it took real quick. So she was pregnant and before you knew it, it was summer of 94 and she we had her first kid, which sounds so long ago, but it doesn't really to me. It seems like yesterday. Um, and she's the one now who's 25 and has her own kid. Uh and uh, I was always like, hey, Kim, what are we doing with this? We're not going to go 10 like your parents or anything, are we? <laughs> and even mine was kind of big. My family was, let's see. Well, it was because of all the Koreans. We had three adopted Koreans in my family. Yes. Uh, two of which were babies when they came over and one who was nine. My brother Matt was nine when he came to America. They were all adopted. And it's because my mom had so many miscarriages and they wanted a bigger family. So uh, she somehow had me and my sister, Wendy, between all these miscarriages Wendy was a total fluke. They thought she was done. There was no oh, really? Dead. Oh, yeah. Wendy's like a complete anomaly that she was even born, um, which explains a lot because she also had an ovary removed when she was seven. Uh, Wendy did because basically she had a twin that didn't develop and never oh, developed. Wow. And so it attached itself as like we used to call it a mad ball because it kind of looked like a mad ball, <laughs> but it was like attached to her her ovary uh, and kind of was starting to take it over and it was going to be bad for her. So they had to take it out. But this thing had hair and teeth in it. What? Yeah, so like is, like people stuff developing in it. Well, actually, no, now that you've said that, like, I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, Wendy's going to listen to this and be like, oh, come on, Scott. But then I'm realizing, no, you've said this story before. Oh, yeah, a bunch of times. Okay. I don't, I'm, probably doesn't love that I 
She probably doesn't love that I tell the story, but oh uh, god, the teeth and the hair was, thing is what triggered it for me to remember. So yeah, and keep in mind, even she was down on ovary, she still had four kids. She did. Just oh yeah, it. Oh, and, and you know this yeah. theme, by the way, of of family, it seems yeah. so prevalent between both you and Kim, where you guys had big families. The adopted thing is is fascinating. I had no idea that she had um, adopted siblings as well. That's really cool. Yeah, in her case, it was a much more charitable sort of thing. She had. So her mom worked in, I don't remember what it was, but worked in something with the Mississippi Social Services, something, something down there. I don't know what it was. She had a job somewhere in that uh, thing. And they had known this mother who was struggling with alcoholism and uh, was abused by her husband. It was just kind of an awful situation. And they were always, the police were always having to intervene and constantly having all these issues. And she smoked and drank all through her pregnancy and ended up having twins. And the twins were born with fetal alcohol syndrome, which basically just, it made it so they would never mentally really be anything more than about seven or eight years old. Um, they're now in their thirties, those kids, but uh, in the system, they would have been long lost and gone by now. Yeah. If there's a very good likely had she not intervened at all, they probably would have died in childbirth. So <clears throat> she stepped in and said, well, when they had, when they had an older brother who, had, who was born just before that, a couple of years older, and they came into that and said, hey, uh, we would like to adopt the kids, no questions asked, um, and, and give them this life and, you know, try to improve the situation for them. And, wow. and that's what they ended up doing. It was a pretty charitable thing to do. But, you know, that, that jumps the size of your family. Plus, those boys were a serious challenge. They were, they were, you know, special needs their whole life, still are. And we're only expected to live to about 22 to 25 because of the medication they're on. They're basically on medication full time or else they'll just have seizures all day. Oh, God. So they've got all kinds of these issues and stuff. But anyway, um, as a result, it was a big blustering family with, you know, four girls and one son. Let's see. Is that, is that right? Five. Well, they had another son, but he died at age two from an accident. So mm-hmm. that was a scary thing to grow, go through. But anyway, <clears throat> like us, you know, big extended family. Family was really important. Still is. And what's funny is all of her relatives, sisters, siblings, aunts, uncles, and her parents all moved up here basically. Really? And that it was right before Katrina, like two seconds before Katrina, it felt like it was probably two weeks before Katrina or something. And they didn't know Katrina was going to hit or anything, but it ended up wiping out everything they used to call home. Um, that was oh that God. part of Mississippi. Everyone always talked about New Orleans, but there was this little strip in Mississippi that just got devastated, just gutted. And that was pretty much her her whole family's area. And they got out just in time, basically. Well, thank God. Oh, my God. Could you yeah, imagine? It's pretty crazy how that all worked out. But um, but yeah, as a result, uh, you know, when Kim and I were having kids, um, we started young. I mean, I was 24 when Taylor was born. Yeah, that is um, pretty young. Like Aria was, uh, what was it, 27 when... I think no 20 27 when Aria was yeah. uh, 27 20 you're more normal like you're like the normal average thing for some reason we got there early I don't know why Kim was like well let's see when we got married I was 22 she was nine. no she had just turned 20 um when we started having the kids you know we we're both still very young but it's worked out great because now I've got this 25 year old daughter she has a little baby now we got a grandson grandpa deal going yeah I'm, I'm not even out of my 40s yet so that's a good deal, man. You know, my parents are young. Um, my mom had me, she was 20. Um, and, and that age difference is super cool. You know, like my mom is. is still very, it's it's very easy for me to relate uh, to my mom just from an age difference. It's not like my dad's much older. He was, uh, actually, I think he was about your age, uh, 24 when when he had me, um, or when my mom had yeah. me. If he had similar deal, it sounds like, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, uh, for, whatever, for whatever reason, that just means that, or for us anyway, it's meant that we can, I don't know. We just have more energy for the kids. We always did when they were growing up. I didn't, I don't feel like my twenties were taken from me. A lot of people who start early in their twenties, they feel like, ah, oh, I should have waited till I was 30. I've missed my whole twenties or whatever. We never felt that way. I've it was never. Yeah. Was so much fun. It was great. Yes. And I actually, I want to even rewind. So, so back when Taylor was born, you, yeah. and even before that, you know, Kim says, uh, Scott, uh, I'm pregnant and I'm sure that that is exactly how it happened. Uh, just, just the way I, I just said it right there. Uh, what was that like for you? What was the emotion? What was the thought of you becoming a father? Well, we had planned it. So it wasn't, it was never a surprise. Um, we knew the month we were going to start trying to have a baby and that's exactly when it took hold. Good on you, man. Um, so it, it all went like clockwork. The only time things got weird was in between each kid, Kim had a uh, had a miscarriage, which was weird. But oh, the doctor said each it's kind of normal. Some people just, you know, it's like their reset button kind of. Oh, wow. Uh, 
Yeah. So that was really, it was hard, but it was, you know, it was a pattern that the doctors were like, this isn't that unusual. But anyway, and it was always very early term, um, maybe two months in or something. I see. Uh, for those, but, uh, but then perfectly healthy, full pregnancies on the other side of each of those. So yeah, I definitely followed this pattern and the doctors seemed to be right. But anyway, um, because we had planned it, it's funny. You'd think that that would mean I was super cool and all ready to go, man. I don't got any worries. I got no stress. This is good. We're having a kid and we're planning it, but it was kind of the opposite for me. Kim was super stoked, excited, glowing all the time, just ready to roll. She loves kids. She couldn't wait to have some kids. And I was terrified not because of, you know, having kids is scary or the financial responsibilities or any of that. That didn't bother me. What bothered me was I was terrified of what kind of father I would be. Would I be good at this? Uh, would on the other end of this, my way of, of parenting, would it, will it contribute to good, happy, smart, smiling kids or will it, will it be the other way? Will I end up with just rotten, jerky, gone, you know, against everything we ever wanted kind of kids? And I was really worried about it before the first one. Um, so it was more of a worried about me kind of thing. And as my sister would tell you, Wendy, uh, from your last episode, she would probably tell you that I tend to catastrophize a lot. I like to see worst possible scenario in my head. And then I never end up having that, but I always do it for some reason. It's just a thing I do. Hmm. And I was sure that this was just going to be rough. And so I didn't know what that meant or any of that. I was terrified. And I was terrified right up until the moment she was born. Like right up to the second she was born. And then suddenly it all washed away. I saw that little face. It all changed. I was as happy as can be. Kim was crying. I was crying. We're holding this fantastic little baby in our arms. She was healthy. She was here. We were ready to roll. And it didn't matter. Come hell or high water, we were good. And I just knew we had it. I knew the team was right. And it That's never cool. bothered me again. And when the second one came, peace cake. I mean, yeah. maybe not for Kim because she had to give birth well, and everything. Yeah, there's that. And she's insane because she did two natural births in a row on purpose. Jeez. I know. I don't know what she was doing. And I even said to her both times, I'm like, honey, you don't have to do this. And she goes, I just want to know. I want to feel this so that I really am. I want to feel everything about this. <laughs> And I said, okay, you're gonna. So you be ready because you're totally gonna feel everything about this. <laughs> was, and then she would she would go through just, you know, horrendous labor. And but then if she was like a million bucks after her and you know, three years later, ready to have another one. So that was the other thing. We planned that, the three years apart thing, totally yeah. planned. Um wow. we wanted to create that space between ages. We thought that was a good and it wasn't based on any advice or anything. We just liked it. Yeah. thought it sounded good. You know, and there was, um, it, it, you, hearing you talk about Kim just like, yeah, she did the, the natural birth thing on purpose. I very, I very specifically remember the moment where Deanna and I went to that, uh, you know, the, you have to go to the, the hospital and like take like the birthing class. And, uh, yeah. we, we left there and, you know, they were talking about all the different options. You know, you could do it natural, you could, with the doulas and the, 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 what is it like the stuff to numb you up and. And I remember leaving there and I looked at Dean. I was like, hey, so like, uh, you're not doing that natural thing, are you? She goes, hell no. What? Yeah, like, right, right. <laughs> That's what I would have said. I'm with your wife and my daughter. She's like, no way I'm doing this natural. Yeah. I'm like, cool with me. You don't need to. Kim was just really adamant about it. And then when the second one came along, uh, Carter, my daughter, my, my second youngest, she said the same thing. She goes, I want to do that again. I said, why do you want to do that again? It's nuts. I mean, it's hey, like, the science is here. Let's do this. And she goes, I feel like I have a better emotional relationship with my kids because I went through this. And I, she goes, and it's probably not even true, but I just feel that way. Good on her, man. Because Deanna, yeah, Deanna was like, I, like, or I told her, I was like, I don't understand. Like the medicine's there. It's like you said, we, we, we have the power. We have the money. We can do it. Like yeah. just blew my mind yeah. a little bit. Yeah. I blew mine too, but she did it. And then, with Nick, it was less about not wanting to do it natural again, but wanting to at least experience this once because we figured we'd have about three. And so we knew she wasn't going to have another one. So it's so funny because the third one would normally be the one where you'd say, hey, I should try this natural just once since we're never going to do this again. Instead, it was the opposite. She's <laughs> like, well, since I'm not going to do this again, I guess I'll try this one with the epidural and see how it goes. But she uh, she was a monster when she was, I mean, she was just so strong, always, never Never wavered, never too tired, never too swollen, never too anything. She just kept barreling through it. One of the most brave people I've ever met. Yeah, yeah. I could see I, I could totally see that. And the the one time I've met her in Vegas there, like, you know, she she seems awesome. And and it doesn't surprise me at all that, that she was able to withstand that. So that's really awesome. You, you know, and uh, one thing that you you've mentioned a couple times on a couple of your shows and I and I'd be interested in revisiting them. Uh, some of the 
the the scary moments of raising your kids. Uh, you had a couple of moments where your kids have gotten hurt, um, mm-hmm. and you know, knowing uh, I think you and I have similarities in our tendency to kind of you know worry uh, mm-hmm. about some things. And I, I heard some of the stories about Carter. Um, yep. for instance, uh, I think she was the one that had to get medevaced out. They had to air fly or, uh, take a helicopter and like literally what's that called? Um, is it medevac? Yeah, it's like that, but it's a different term. Air, airlift. Air she lift. had to be airlifted. There we go. So, you know, a bad situation, which was just one of the worst days of my life. But how um, do you like, how do you deal with that? You know, cause I'm anticipating that to happen. Ari is two years old. We're, mm-hmm. uh, we're already, you know, seeing a, a, a really adventurous kid. I'm I'm expecting lots of uh, broken bones, perhaps. Well, how, how Carter do you deal was with like that? six, seven, maybe, um, and it was devastating because she's all her and I already have this like really fun, goofy relationship, and it's a very affectionate one. She, you know, you don't pick favorites, but they all mean something a little different than than they do from each other. And for whatever reason, Carter and I just have a bond that I don't know. It's just maybe it's it's as big, it's as strong a bond as I've had with anybody in my life. And when she got hurt. Um, Kim, first of all, wouldn't tell me the full story because she knew I was going to completely freak out. Um, she just told me, oh, she'd been a little bit hurt up at this thing. Come meet us at primary children's hospital. We'll, you know, the best people will be there and you can have a look at her. So I was, I had a lesser idea in my head of what happened when I got there and I walked in the room and she was strapped to a board with her head strapped down. Oh my God. I just lost it. I was so upset and I was so angry at nobody because <laughs> it wasn't anyone's fault it was a total accident but she had cranked her neck uh, was sliding down a hill on a big inner tube in the in snow and somebody had left a parked um, snowmobile at the base of the hill and she had gotten turned around slowly as she went down the hill and didn't see it and smacked her head so hard against that thing it just it just threw her neck you know it just about paralyzed her mm. and um you know it all swollen up and she they had to keep her mobile and all this stuff. She was in the hospital for a couple of days, had to wear a, a cone like a dog for a while um, afterwards. But, and she's all good now, but I was just devastated. Here's the thing though. People always go, well, this is why I don't want to have kids. Cause I don't want to deal with that stuff. You're going to deal with that stuff somewhere, someplace. It may not be your own kids. It'll probably be your parents or some friend of yours, or, you know, you're going to have to deal with tragedy and accidents and that's just life. That's the roll of the dice. It's the way that stuff goes. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't trade any of it for the world, including that experience. Like that made everybody closer. That made everybody more thoughtful about how fragile life can be and how you don't want to take it for granted and stuff. And so I don't look at it as a negative experience. I mean, it was awfully negative and hard in the, in the midst of it, but looking back on it now, I'm grateful for it. It was a, it was a learning experience for us and and a real plateau to get over and to, you know, kind of, figure out a way to sort of express how we're feeling about ourselves. And, and, um, it mattered. It was a meaningful thing. So, so yeah, like as much as those things are hard and and there's still things that are hard and things that will come still that are going to be hard for us because that stuff never really ends. You're always worried about your kids for whatever, you know, whatever they're doing. I also, there, part of me knows that it's all good. You know, it's good for what ails us, uh, loss and, and, and is as important as gain is, um, you know, and, and I've always said to people, it's just not hard if you love them. If you really care about your kids, it's not hard. Mm-hmm. Like I never felt like raising my kids was work or hard or I was frustrated or I wish I'd have done something else. Not once did I ever have that even enter my mind. And so even when people bring it up, don't you wish you'd have done this? I'm like, no, I don't. Like they're amazing. They're such a huge part of my life. And I laugh every day with them and I, I cry with them when I need to. And we go to the movies we like together and, you know, it's just a, it's a non, it's just a big, it's a team. And I don't, I don't picture it any other way. That's beautiful. Yeah. Because I think that a lot of people think about parenting as a very, uh, pure thing that should be perfect. Lots of, uh, you know, th- lots of things should go a certain way, but I, I don't think that people take into consideration what the bumps along the way do for the long run, especially for your tenacity as a parent, the, the character of your children uh, growing up. I think that that's really worth uh, worth exploring. And I I want to talk about that tenacity kind of on an other uh, on a different end of the spectrum. Uh, your your life as an entrepreneur. So you 
have started up a, a let's see what 12 years ago you started podcasting um and that is your primary profession that um and illustrations your cartoonist uh but it wasn't always that way uh do mm-hmm. you want to take us through uh sort of your journey of being a corporate citizen to the point in which <laughs> you became a uh, an entrepreneur well even then um like when i went to college it was all art stuff when i went and got jobs. They were always somewhat focused in that regard. Like I was a graphic, the company I was with before I jumped out on my own, I was a full-time graphic designer for, I did packaging design and a bunch of other stuff for their Japanese stuff they used to produce. And so I was always doing something with the art side and even something would come up occasionally. We did a project with a, um, a prominent psychologist at the time and he was doing some books and some videos and some stuff. And we did a bunch of artwork for that, but I also co-hosted a, a kind of series of, I can't remember what they were focused on. It may have been just family stuff, but anyways, cause he's kind of a family therapist and we did a series of, of basically short radio interviews with this guy and then put those up on the internet. So there's a lot of that stuff happening as well, but it was just always work for somebody else. You know, like I, I, I was doing good work, but none of it felt like it was for me. And, um, the harder, what made it even harder is by, you know, from like 2002 forward, I had already started doing things like this on the side. And by the time you get to like the early mid aughts, like 2004 or so, I'm full bore with that stuff at home. And it just started to seem to me as time wore on that I could do this for me and stop doing it for everybody else right? and for their needs because their needs sucked and I was sick of it. And I just knew there was, it was just never going to get me too, too far doing it the other way. And they were good jobs. They were fine. They were good, you know, decent people. Well, except for one thing, but that's a different story. But, <laughs> but anyway, for the most part, you know, you're supposed to get out there and you work every day and you come home and you pay the bills and you put bacon on the table and blah, 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 all those stereotypes. But there was always something missing for me. And I think what was missing is I just could not have full creative freedom over what I was creating. And when I started to have that at home, then and my time was split that way it made it even more frustrating because i was like well look at all this cool stuff i'm doing at home and then i go to work and it's just you know i'm doing a catalog for whatever department or they need this for the freaking 2013 whatever 2013 whatever when 2003 whatever it was or this book's going out or this video needs a needs illustration for the cop for the cover just lame None of that was for me. So I wanted to do, it sounds almost selfish now that I say it this way, but I wanted to do my stuff and I wanted to do it yeah, full time. But that's not a, I wouldn't say that that's a bad thing hearing a, uh, I, I think that saying it's selfish could really take a positive connotation because, hey man, we got one life to live. And mm-hmm. if you're, if you're feeling unfulfilled doing that work, you know, what, what is that? Uh, mean to your overall legacy? What you're wanting to leave this world, the, 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 the sort of, uh, way that you want to show your kids how to live and things like that. So I, I applaud you for that. That's a big step. Not a lot of people take. Yeah, it was, and it was hard. I mean, the only re- regret I have is I didn't do it earlier because 2009, um, I could have probably done it in 2006 or seven. It wasn't that much earlier. I could have done it, but yeah. What um, kept you from doing it? I don't know. I think I just, part of it was, um, when I was growing up, my dad had this awesome business. He, he built, manufactured and ran arcade uh, machines. So we had entire arcades in the Valley. We had uh, sit down, you know, Pac-Man, Galaga and this kind of stuff. And every pizza hut in the state, like he had all kinds of cool stuff going on. It was all around video games and arcade machines. And it was awesome. And then the mid eighties crash of video game crash happened. And he lost everything, lost the business, lost the house, lost the amenities. Like we had a motorhome and a boat and all that kind of stuff that was all gone just a complete wipeout and he had to go on assistance for a while. And then he, you know, pushed through that and then things got okay again, but it took a long time and I was a teenager and it, and it was rough. It felt, it felt really acute when you're that age. And I felt then as strongly as I do now, that I just never wanted to be in that situation. Yeah. And I didn't blame him for it. I just didn't want to do anything that put me or the family there. And so I've always been a little bit paranoid about it. It's, I don't know, some kind of PTSD almost. Where I'm just like, I don't want to, I don't want to take a risk that would put everyone else at risk. Like this is just a bad idea. Like when did you feel comfortable though? I mean, because I can't imagine that that's a comfortable thing for you to just be like, yeah, I'm just gonna do my own thing now. And especially with that experience, that being a, a young kid 
and seeing your dad go through that sort of trouble. I think it was when I told Kim that I was thinking about doing it and she'll tell you that she was super nervous inside because it just sounded, you know, she was thinking about the car payment and the house and the this and that. And at the time we weren't bringing in a ton of revenue on the side, but you know, it was increasing and doing better. And, and so, but I'll never forget it. She turned to me and she says, we'll do whatever you, we'll do whatever we have to do to make it happen. Let's make it happen. Let's do it. That's and incredible. I said, I go, Oh, all right. Well, if she's all in, then what's stopping me? And I realized all that was stopping me was just this little fear of the first step. And when I finally did it, it was great. <laughs> like I was so mad that it took me that long to decide because everything just clicked and it went exactly the way it needed to go pretty much immediately. And it was, it was a little frustrating that I had waited so long, but well, Hey, it, here also, you are. it needed to happen. I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's, that's amazing. So uh, you actually brought up your father and, and I'm glad you did. And, and I think about two specific topics come to mind when I think of your dad. One is entrepreneurship, which we just kind of talked about, but the other one is fatherhood. Uh, what mm -hmm. are some of the ways that your dad has influenced the way that you parent your kids? He is a, he was awesome. Um, uh, just for context, he died in the year 2000. Uh, Nick was only a few months old and um, it was a bummer. It was real hard on everybody because he was uh, just, I don't know, this soft voice of reason in the family. He was just this kind-hearted guy who absolutely loved the grandkids that were coming into this world. And he was just so supportive of everything. And he always was of me, especially my creative side. When I would struggle in high school or junior high because I freaking hated school and tests and studying and all that. And, you know, he knew I was smart. He knew I could do better. He knew that it was mostly just because I, I don't know, I was just bored in school. Mm -hmm. Um, and I would draw on everything and I would, you know, I'd take a test and the margins would be full of, full of art, but I'd miss 50 questions or something. And he would somehow see that. And instead of doing the stereotypic thing of you're grounded till you do better or you can't, you know, you'll never drive this car again or whatever it was. He was very, very supportive of my creativity, wanted to see me push it further, uh, was certain that I could find out a way to build a career out of it. Like he was always just this very positive, um, source of of backing for me and what I wanted to do or what I love to do and he was I mean my mom was fine but she just sort of took his lead you know he kind of was the he was the one that would sort of uh, would establish that and a lot of people criticized him for it. he's like that kid's never gonna do anything if you don't come down a little harder on him or whatever and I'm really grateful to this day that he was that he that he was kind about it and that he was willing to be patient and and all of that because I think he'd be pretty proud of it. I mean, he was proud of it when I was, you know, when he, when he passed away, he, you know, he was very proud of all of his kids and what they were doing, but I think he would have loved to have seen this because things have really, you know, they've really gone places Yeah, since he yeah. passed away. And um, I think he would have loved to have seen that, you know, and he was a guy that loved photography and for years had a, you know, he, every time they'd have a, a different house, he built a little uh, dark room in there and do it all old school style with the chemicals and everything. And oh, cool. He loved photography. He's got just, we have billions of slides of crazy shots he would get. Um, and that's really translated and, onto Taylor. She, she's doing a lot of photography stuff, right? Oh, big time, big time. It's one of the, one of the great sadnesses for me is that, you know, she was six years old when he died and she remembers him. And, um, Actually, all the kids have some memory of me, even Nick, which is crazy. Wow. Only a couple months old. But uh, they would be, I cannot imagine how awesome it would be right now for them to have that thing in common, to have photography be where it is right now, to be in this digital space that we're in where the art has met the technology head on. He would be in heaven. It would be amazing. And those two would just be thick as thieves. And we talk about that a lot. You know, she's she kind of carried on that that particular legacy. And she's really legit good, like crazy good. I don't know where she gets the eye for it, but oh, maybe she gets from him. I don't know. Yeah. Like it totally, totally follow that creativity. It flows all the way down through all your kids. It's uh, I've, I've witnessed it, you know, from, from the other side of the internet, but it's uh, it, it really is inspiring. And, and I love the, there's a, there's sort of a common theme of, you know, allow your kids to fail. And I, and I think that that's an important thing, you know, in the right context with the right bumpers um, mm -hmm. applied as parent. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I see you supporting, you know, Taylor and, and Carter, especially with her uh, with her art, very similar um, sort of creative mind that you do around, the, you know, drawing illustration. Mm -hmm. um, what, what's your thought on 
I guess, that that idea of failing. I think it's hugely important, but it is, it's equally as important to give them the tools when you see them reaching for them. In other words, like, you know, in Carter's case, she showed a very uh, young aptitude toward art when she was very young. And you just have to recognize it and note that she has some passion for it. And even if it wears out and she's bored of it by the time she's in high school, it's still okay to encourage it, to give her all the the things that she might need to make that happen. If she, you know, needs <laughs> pens and paper, you get them and you encourage her to draw all the time and you do those sorts of things. And then if it passes and something else gives her interest, fine, move to that. But this just stuck and has always stuck. And as much as I like to, you know, sort of, it's, it's lovely to take some credit and say, ah, part of why Carter's so good is because I helped her do it. And But that kid really works at it. Yeah. Like really cranks on it. And it's a, it's admirable to watch because she'll just, she's, um, she's drawing right now. She's like upstairs drawing because that's her, that's where she's, her brain wants to be. And she's so good because partly because she, she really pushed it. But if we would had pushed against it, I mean, that would have been all kinds of dumb oh, mistakes man. as a parent. Oh my God. So, and, and just seeing what she's putting out now, like, could you imagine of stifling that? That's not. Oh my gosh, dude. She's so smart. She's doing freelance work all the time. She's got a full-time job that she loves and they love her. She's saving all kinds of money. She can do anything. She's got people calling her wanting to do internships. She's going to Japan next week. She's doing all this fun, cool stuff. All of it is creative and fun and great. And it's just great to watch it. Like I can't stifle that. There's no way I would ever stifle that. So you know, I watched her go through some of the things I did. Teachers just don't get you sometimes. Teachers are like, what is this kid doing? And I would tell her, I'm like, don't worry about it. And I did the exact same thing. And it yep. was worse for me because they didn't understand this stuff as much back then. Now they do. And, you know, you could turn around tomorrow and have your own career in a heartbeat where that was impossible when I was in high school. Yeah. Well, they don't so, teach entrepreneurship. They, you know, like. No. Well, plus the things you're doing, like. Look, if I wanted to be a successful cartoonist in 1987, you had to submit your art to a million different places, magazines, newspapers, syndications, and then you had to hope against hope that somebody was going to notice you. Well, the truth is that was a gate that would let one or two people in and thousands would be left at the door with no option. And usually you got in because somebody knew you or uh, somebody you knew is could refer this person it was very rare that you would just get in on your own merits. I cannot tell you how many rejection letters people like Gary Larson and people like um, uh, Calvin and Hobbes creator. I can't think of his name all of a sudden. Anyway, all those guys. Yeah, I'm Just rejection too. after rejection after yeah. rejection. And then they finally get they get in because of just sure perseverance. And then you, then you wonder how anyone rejected him. Well, that's just the way it worked back then. Today, yeah. just walk outside right now and do a whole new thing if I want to. Like the internet has is huge in my life. It's a, it's so much more than just, Oh, well, this is just where we're at and this is what society's done and blah, blah, blah. It's so much more than that to me. Mm -hmm. Like it just came at the perfect time. It's at the perfect time for my kids. They're in the perfect place to be doing what they're doing and they can gain their own audience, fame and fortune from it. Like it's a beautiful time to be alive in that regard. It is. This is a great, world. this is a great opportunity. And, you know, Coming back to that whole idea of entrepreneurship and and how you bring uh, what you do for a living into how you parent your kids, that's got to be a little bit of a struggle. And specifically around the time uh, that it takes to do all the stuff that you do, you've got a full plate. You've got, what, eight, eight or nine shows or something that you're doing right now. How do mm -hmm. you balance everything that you're doing today with being a dad? Well, it's easier now because they're older and independent and they don't need me so much as often. Um, that's a huge part of it. But also Kim is a stalwart partner in everything I do. And you might say, well, geez, you just leave Kim with the responsibilities and you just go have fun on the mic. And it doesn't really work that way. She, she truly believes that what she does to help balance everything out is a partnership with me for this business and for what we're doing. So that's a huge part of it. But, I, you know, I'm not going to say it, like, especially when the kids were little, it was much harder you know, to squeeze out a bunch of extra time. Yeah. But I kind of didn't. Like, I'm in the most busy I've ever been now. Like, this is easily the busiest I've ever been. Well, part of that is because the kids are old enough. Carter's at work all day. Nick's at, uh, has a job now and is, you know, looking at college. And and Taylor's married and has a little kid of her own. She's got plenty to worry about. And so, because of all of that stuff, we don't have to, we don't have all of that, like, well, now where's bedtime? Dad's going to read a story. Like, all that stuff is different now. So I can fill, I can put more in. And that started around 2011 or 12, where I started to 
be able to have more uh, in my time. You know, TMS started in 2011. Oh, sure. Um, that's, yeah. You know, five days a week, that thing. Um, you know, other shows have been added since then that, you know, filled up other times. And so, I don't know. It's just because the kids got older, really. Yeah. And, and and it's just made it. And they, I mean, look, I've always said it's a bit of a cheat to have a dad who is kind of internet famous. Not not near like some people, but, you know, I'm known enough in enough circles that to them, they, I don't think much of that, but they think that's cool. So raising them during their formative years when they're 14 and should re- be rebelling, instead they were like, oh, dude, if their friends are like, your dad's awesome. I can't believe he does it. He's on the instance. No way. My dad listens to that show. That's so cool. And then they would hang out here and we always had all the video games and Kim was always making food. And like, we just, we were the place to be. And we just gave them no reason to rebel. There was no, there was no fun reason to like go against us. And I think I kind of got that little bit of a cheat with them growing up. That's Having really that cool. Extra clout. Yeah, it was weird. No, that's that's super awesome. Yeah, I was gonna actually my, my next uh, question was gonna be about how Kim has just been a, a supportive uh, part of this entire puzzle, and she's part of Team Frog Pants. Uh, you know, as as uh, sort of your partner in in not in just in parenting the kids, but really a part of the business. How do you uh, work that as both partners in life and and love and professionally i mean it's had it's you know there's moments of stress of course there always is but um we don't really fight uh we never have really trying to think i mean every couple gets frustrated or something once in a while but we've never like had a yelling fight or none of that that seems really foreign to me um i don't know it's hard to explain i have said this before though if she was gone tomorrow i don't think i could do it like i think i'd be done really partly because i'd just be devastated but also, it is a gigantic part of what this is and who I am and what I'm doing is her in the in the what people perceive as the background. It's very much the foreground for me, but mm-hmm. she's as much part of this as anything. So uh, it would be really weird. Like, I mean, maybe I'd have to figure out a way to make myself go on, but I don't know how. Like, it's a it's a it's a thought that doesn't even register in my head because I can't imagine it. Yeah, I can't. Uh, that's that's something deep to think about. I've I've never taken a second to actually think about that on on my end that's a that's a hard thing to think about yeah it sucks it's no good yeah Jesus. i need die whenever i go it needs to be me first as much <laughs> as that sucks for her like this is a very selfish thing i want yeah because i don't i don't think i can handle it i know she can i mean there, there would be <laughs> like, so many doggeritos that would be made <laughs> oh my whole dude i'm pretty sure my tombstone will be shaped like one at this point <laughs> uh i did i ever tell you about like the sort of doggerito thing that I've done. Did I ever tell you that? I don't know. No. If I have. So it sounds. I'm into it. Okay. So so when you talked about the doggerito and everybody was like, Ugh, Scott, I was like, Oh, dude, that sounds great. That's totally what I used to do in college. Yeah. Um, but there was one time where I didn't have like a tortilla or, or even bread or anything. All I had was a like a hamburger bun, and uh, I was like, Okay, how the hell am I gonna put a hot dog? Because I already heated up the hot dog. I got to eat it. I want to put it in some bread. So I ended up like dicing it up into like little like circular nugget things and then put that on the bread with some nice. some like, <laughs> sprinkle nice. a little cheddar cheese and some uh some ketchup or something on it. And uh that was a low point, Scott. That was yeah. a low point. Yeah, I've been there. I know you I know the feeling. I had a <laughs> I mean, look, at least you were doing it in your 20s and your college days. I I did all that and I'm doing it again every time Kim leaves town. I mean, I, the truth is I could have gone, we could have gone shopping this afternoon and bought a bunch of really healthy things and made dinner. I don't know how to do any of that. <laughs> but also like, dude, with all this stuff on your plate, man, it's totally. Uh, yeah, can, it's a lot of stuff going on. No yeah. question. So it's a little bit harder. Like we got one of the, just sitting here thinking about what the instance is tomorrow. The show's still going and tomorrow we got an episode and there's a whole lot of gnarly business news dropping this week and we have to talk about all of it and, People think podcasting is just the act of talking, but it's also a very emotional process. You know, you got to get to push through ideas and thoughts and feelings and do it in these cohesive ways and not only make it entertaining, but really get your points across. And it's exhausting. It can be very tiring. And, um, you know, I like a nice nap (laughs) when I get one. When was the last time you got a good nap on the hammock? Uh, About a year ago. Jeez. Yeah. But we're getting the hammock back up now because it's spring. So I'm. Well, it's almost summer, I guess. You got to take any good naps out there with the with uh, with baby van. 
Yeah, or the or the dog, whoever wants in, I'm good. Yeah. That's the funny thing about baby Van. He's he. I was I was even I was having all this trepidation about this idea of this notion of being a grandfather in quotes because it just seems like such a huge step into the old man future. <laughs> And it just, you know, all of the stereotypes come rushing in. You're like, Grandpa, what the freak is this? You know, uh, that all changed, though, because he is just he's just a rad little dude. And it's you just get caught up in who he is and what he's doing. And it doesn't matter. What was that like anymore. for you, by the way, like holding him for the first time? It's it's like a full circle thing. You know, you were just talking earlier about holding your daughter and, and crying and, and feeling that yeah. emotion. Was was there something similar with Van? Yeah. And watching them. uh on his day of birth, watching those two uh, as a couple kind of go through all those same hoops that Kim and I went through emotionally was really interesting. Like being on the other side of that was kind of mind blowing and it feels good to do it while I'm young. I've got friends, you know, my buddy Patrick, he just had a kid a year and a half ago. He's just younger than me. <laughs> He's going to have a kid. Oh, Beja. Yeah. I see. Him. Yeah. I like teasing him about it, but, um, you know, they're just doing it normal like everybody else does it. We just started early. But it is kind of nice to think that, you know, as this kid grows up, I'm not going to be that old. I'm going to be hanging around and bouncing around with them and having fun and fishing and doing all the stuff I want to do that that I won't be able to do if I'm some geezer. So it's it's no longer a thing I even care about. Like people can get funny about it and go, oh, Scott, how's it feel to be a grandpa getting slow in your ear? Like all that. And I'm like, yeah, whatever, dude. <laughs> I got this. Yeah, by the time this you're a grandfather, like, like you, you're going to be in a rocking chair. So, suck yeah, it. it's funny though too. The internet, this has always been true, but the internet amplifies it. Everybody thinks they're never going to get older. Yeah, they just think they're just going to be whatever they're going to be forever. And I just have really bad news for them. It turns out, I don't know if this is a big shock to you or not, but it turns out everybody, including brand new babies born today, we are all dying at the same rate. Yeah, <gasps> I know, I know. Right. It seems like they're going to live forever. But truthfully, either they want to die early or they are, need to start to be OK with getting older because it happens whether you like it or not. Yeah. One way or the other. That's your direction. So, yeah, it's it's a funny thing because when I was when she was first pregnant, it was kind of tricky for me to deal with because I just was like, oh, man, does this mean I got to be like old guy persona on the Internet now? Can I, I have to change the way I do shows and like I really was starting to think that I was supposed to jump over some maturity fence now, but I don't feel that way now. No, you do it right, and I love seeing little man come on, uh, come on camera there in the middle of TMS and get overwhelmed by the by the lights and freak out a little oh, bit. But that- it's like Christmas in here. In fact, I cannot wait for his first Christmas because he's just going to flip when he sees all those lights. And he's so mellow now, so chill. Like you can, we took him to an arcade a couple of weeks ago. It's yeah. how we celebrate uh, Memorial Day because instead of going to my dad's grave. Uh, he would have hated that. So we go to this arcade instead um, and just think about, you know, the cool stuff he did when we were younger, which was arcade stuff that we have a lot of fond feelings for that. So we take, took him there for the first time, been taking the kids for a decade. Um, and he loved it. Just staring around, couldn't believe all these sounds and lights and he's smiling and just couldn't get enough of it. Didn't, you know, he's too young to play anything. He's only 18 weeks old, but man, I can't, was. I can only imagine what your dad must be thinking seeing all this happening full circle it's so cool to hear it's pretty rad i wish he was here to be a part of it um he's just taken way too soon man it was too he's too young he was only 63 it was <sighs> very sudden it was a heart attack and it was just gone mm. and it sucked we hated it no. everybody hated it because he was the best pretty much the best dude i ever knew well, uh, you're filling some pretty amazing shoes there, Scott Johnson. So you keep that up. Um, and, you know, I, I like to end the show uh, with looking for some words of wisdom uh, from from you, uh, our guest. Uh, you're full of a lot of wisdom. You've shared a lot of wisdom uh, in what we've heard today. If you were to be speaking to a younger Scott Johnson in his in his heyday um, <laughs> as, a, as a new father or, uh, you know, somebody who's maybe... Uh, has some trepidation about moving forward with an entrepreneurial uh, sort of calling. What would you say to that dad out there? To be less worried about stuff you can't control. Just go with the flow, live in the moment, notice the little things. Don't get caught up in trying to overprepare or worry about what could happen. Just be in the middle of what is happening. I, I would, I would absolutely go back and tell myself that, um, and it's still something I, it's funny I'd say that, but I'm, I still sort of do it. 
Mm. <laughs> and this is just this is me since I was a kid, so it's not like I'm going to change. But I, I do wish the younger father and the younger guy trying to figure out what his career goals were. I wish he was a little less worried about what the rest of the world would think about him doing a certain thing or worried about what could happen or should happen and just make stuff happen and just live in the middle of it. That, that would have been a, that would have been cool. If, 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 if time travel is going to happen and some weirdo is going to come back from the future with his graying beard, that's what I want him to tell me. But for, uh, on that regard, or is that spur off a new timeline or does it change the future? Like what, what's your thought on time travel? I'll have to, um, I'll have to consult the ancient ones PowerPoint presentation to remind myself how this works. But I think, I think the way it would work is it wouldn't work at all. I'm one of those people who thinks <laughs> that we will never figure out time travel. It, I just cannot see it ever possibly happening. I think every other travel will be possible. Time will never happen. Nope. Agreed. So it's actually hard for me to, because for not only all the time paradox is a problem, and nobody ever gets that right. I just don't think we ever do it. <laughs> so we're all racking our brains here trying to figure out if uh, if Endgame really made sense or how Doctor Who works. When you know, in reality, people, it just none of it, none of it's going to happen in the first place. No, so stop worrying about fun, it. And enjoy it. It's, it's a fun little thought experiment. It's fun to dink around with. It's fun to watch in the movie. At the end of the day, though, there ain't no time travel. And if there was, we'd already know it. Yeah. So yeah, that's right. We'd have yep. uh, Abraham Lincoln come to the future or something. We'd have all sorts of people come to the future. Like we would have already had multiple things happen that would have been, oh, this is this is because of a of a thing. And if somebody wants to argue with me on that, it's just an impossible argument because it's all hypotheticals and no facts. So I just, if people are into that, go for it. For me, it's like, man, whatever. I got the time I have. I'm going to try to use it the best I can. Amen. All right. Wise words to live by. Uh, Scott, thank you for being on the show. Uh, you're going to do something you hate now. Where can people reach you? Frogpants.com. That's where all my work is. Uh, so all the stuff I've been talking about, it's all there. If you want to follow me on Twitter and follow some of these pictures with family stuff in it, you can follow that over at Scott Johnson. And thanks for having me on, man. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. It's been an honor. Our guest again has been Scott Johnson. Thank you. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. And for me, that was a long time coming as somebody who uh, really looks up to him as a kind of fledgling podcaster, if you will, and really having an opportunity to talk about something so personal and so meaningful to both of us. Uh, it was really fun having that conversation. So I want to thank Scott Johnson again for being on the Dad Chronicle. Now, if you enjoyed what you listened to, you can support this show. If you head over to thedadchronicle.com, there is a become a patron button at the top. Consider donating some money to this show. Every little bit helps us pay for the operational costs of this show, and you get some fun stuff out of that, some exclusive stuff. So take some time to consider it, or at the very least, leave us a five-star rating on iTunes if you enjoyed it, and be sure to subscribe to your favorite podcatcher so you don't miss a single episode. If you'd like to chime in on the conversation that we had today, you can email the Dad Chronicle podcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to follow what I'm up to, you can follow me on social media and all the social medias. Uh, if you uh, go over to Instagram, Facebook, or uh, Twitter, you can just follow at Alex Albisu. Uh, the last name is spelled A-L-B-I-S-U. And uh, engage with me on there. Would love to chat with you. So thanks again for listening, and I'll see you guys next time. If you like this show, check out more great content at incastmedianetwork.com.